Well, good morning, guys. Uh, a little bit more, I, I tried to find a picture of Chris and I rafting with a bunch of middle school students. Um, I was unable to locate the picture itself, but maybe I can find that and Chris can share that next week. Um, a little bit more about myself. Uh, I'm a Colorado native, as is my wife. I grew up in Littleton. She grew up in Parker. We've been married for almost five and a half years now. Um, we have a three-year-old little girl, Riley, who you'll see running around later holding a stuffed poo. Um, and ironically, we, that was the backup poo in case we lost the original poo, but now she doesn't care for the original poo. She just likes the backup poo. It's a whole other story. Um, and then we also have an almost nine-month-old little boy, and I currently serve on staff at Mission Hills Church as the high school pastor there. I've been on staff for about uh, a year and a half. But it truly is a great joy to be here with you all today. As Chris shared, spent a lot of time praying with Tyler and Chris, thinking about what Connect was going to be. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, and I have the humbling opportunity to continue in your journey through the book of Ephesians. And as we do so today, I want to talk to you about breakthrough. I want to talk to you about breakthrough. So I want you to take a moment and think about a breakthrough moment that you have experienced within your own life. What's a breakthrough moment that you've experienced within your own life? Maybe you finally uh, hit that PR that you've been striving for in the gym or as you run. Uh, maybe you finally have that financial breakthrough as you try to get out of debt or save money or plan for buying a house or something along those lines. Maybe it's a relational breakthrough where you have been working hard with a counselor and with trusted friends to rebuild a marriage or to pursue relationships with a child. Uh, and you have finally seen some of those efforts, the labor, begin to pay off. What's that breakthrough moment for you? We all long to experience breakthrough, don't we? We all long to experience breakthrough. I think that's, that's one of the reasons why we love an underdog story. That's, that's why we hope the 49ers win today as they dethrone the Chiefs, right? Um, but we love an underdog story. We love stories of breakthrough as we see people do things that we thought impossible beforehand. And one of the things that I've learned as I've uh, been on staff at different churches for around a decade now is one of the things that people struggle with, one of the things that they wrestle with regularly, is that idea of breakthrough, but specifically, how can what I think or believe actually become the way that I live? How can what we talk about become what we live out? Um, I've spent 10 years now in youth ministry, and I've had a lot of conversations with students who will come up to me on a Wednesday or a Sunday morning um, disillusioned and frustrated and concerned because they can't quite seem to actually live the way that they think they should live. In tears on a Wednesday night, like, Stephen, I just can't stop doing this. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I know I need to start doing this, but why can't I live out what I think I need to live out? But it's not just with high school students. It's also with the serve team members that I care for as well. Regularly, I hear that, that, that theme repeated time and time and time again. I know I'm supposed to live this way as a Christian. I, I believe this. I think this. But when it comes to how I live, so often it feels like a great chasm between the two. And maybe you find yourself there today as well. Maybe you find yourself there today as well. 
Um, If we're honest, maybe even on your drive to church this morning, there were a few short words shared with your spouse or your children, though you've tried for so long to be more patient or kind or caring. Maybe there's a sin struggle that you've been dealing with for years. But this weekend, you fell back into that same trap once again. There are things that you struggle with, that you wrestle with, and you know how you're called to live, but sometimes reality is far removed. We long for breakthrough. So how can what we think, what we believe in, how can it actually become what we live out, a part of our lives? What does that practically look like? Well, our passage for today um, looks at a key element for breakthrough to happen within our relationships with Jesus. Looks at that, that kind of that key element, the key ingredient of how can breakthrough truly happen in the way that we live today? How can what we believe actually become how we live? And so as you hope for breakthrough, as we all hope for breakthrough, my hope is that today our passage will encourage us as it looks at that key element for breakthrough to happen with Jesus. Uh, and in a sense, the, the passage for today is a key turning point within the entire Letter. You guys have been working your way through the book of Ephesians the last few weeks, and uh, man, what an incredible book, amen? Just incredible truths, incredible challenges, realities of what it means to be in Christ. Um, I've spent several times now reading through the first three chapters, just getting ready for today, and I can't quite get enough, right? The depth is incredible, it's amazing, it's mind-blowing, it's shocking, because in the book of Ephesians, the first part of the book, up to today, you've looked at really who is Jesus and what has Jesus actually accomplished. The mystery of Christ. The mystery that, that the God who loves all of us more than we could possibly fathom or recognize has made a way for all of us, Jew and Gentile, to be united to him through Jesus. It's incredible um, that we were once dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive. The fact that we weren't far from God, but we've now been brought near to God because of Jesus. And that's life-changing. It's incredible. It's amazing. Amen? It's wonderful. And as Paul considers the letter that he's writing, as he addresses these Christians, as he's talking about these wonderful, life-changing spiritual realities that have been accomplished because of Jesus, he brings us to our passage today. As he considers all that he has said, it drives him to his knees in prayer, in prayer. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, for for this to become real, for breakthrough to happen, we need to pray. But before we look at the passage itself, I want to just share a few words on prayer. As he's overwhelmed by the beauty of it all, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished, the beauty of everything, it drives him to pray. It drives him to pray because he wants this to become really real for all of us, more real than the air we breathe, the realities of what it means to be in Christ. One of the things I love about your church is the value to pray first. Uh, prayer is an integral part of your community. It's central to what you do, which is a good thing because prayer is life-changing. It's incredible, it's amazing, it's life-changing. And as I think about prayer, um, one of the The quotes I came across is a quote by St. Augustine, which I think helps frame, in a lot of ways, what we're going to look at 
today. This is what St. Augustine says about prayer. Jesus thirsts. His asking arises from the depths of God's desire for us. Whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. See, so often when we pray, it's, it's more of a reactionary, reactive type of thing, isn't it? A lot of times things aren't going well, we're struggling, we're overwhelmed, uh, things are falling apart perhaps, and as a result, we pray. But prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is more than a reaction, it's more of um, an opportunity for us to dive deep in our relationship with God because God desires for us. Do we recognize that? That God desires for us. He wants a relationship with all of us. Not just a passive, half-hearted relationship, but deep, true intimacy with all of us. And so Paul prays. It's an opportunity for us to encounter a God who loves us and desires for us. Uh, Prayer is an invitation to grow. Prayer is the way in which we grow. You see, apart from prayer, the spiritual journey, growing to be more like Jesus, is really, really difficult. There's only so much we can accomplish by our own strength, right? Willpower gets us to a certain point. However, we're we're designed, created uh, to be in relationship with God. And one of the ways that we do that is, is through prayer. So by prayer, growth actually happens. Not only that, but prayer, uh, as one pastor says, is is the application of God's word to our lives. Uh, I like to think about it like this, where we know the truth of scripture, we know what scripture asks of us, what it, it calls us to, what it says about us, and it's through prayer that those realities, those spiritual truths actually become real in our lives. By praying, what we desire to see in our lives, it actually becomes real. It's, It's applied and played out in everyday life. So prayer, it helps us to grow. It invites us to grow. It's also the application of God's word. Thirdly, prayer is a key tool for formation. God invites us into relationship with him. And so prayer is a way in which we're actually formed to be more and more like Jesus. Paul recognized that if if the first two and a half chapters of Ephesians were going to be real for the Christians there in Ephesus, and by extension by the Holy Spirit, for you and I today, prayer has to be central. Because through prayer, formation actually happens. So knowing the power of prayer, Paul prays this. Our passage for today is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. You'll find the passage on the screens. I encourage you to open up in your own copy of the Bible as well as you read this incredible prayer as Paul desires for the realities of who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished to become real for all of us. This is what the prayer says. For this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide 
and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think we can stop there. (laughs) I'm just kidding, of course. There's so much that we can unpack here in this wondrous, incredible prayer. Uh, In this prayer, we see four key elements. Uh, We see a posture of prayer. We see two primary requests, and we see the results of the prayer. So a posture, two requests, and the result. So let's start in verses 14 and 15 as we see the posture of prayer as the Apostle Paul goes to the Father in prayer. Uh, Right before this passage, in, in verse 12, Paul says this, In Him, that's being in Jesus, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Uh, That's directly before this prayer that Paul prays. In other words, one of the things that we see Paul do in his posture is he models for us the ability that you and I have to approach the God of all things, the Father of all things, from whom every name is derived, in freedom and in confidence. In freedom and in confidence. In other words, we can boldly approach the God of everything and ask big things of him. We can boldly approach him. Not only that, but we also see Paul uh, enter into a posture of humility and a posture of yielding as he drops to his knees in prayer. It's like he's so overwhelmed by what he's about to pray and overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel that he can't help but drop to his knees and pray to the Father. But what's interesting is is as a Jew, um, Paul would have understood that the typical posture for prayer was not one of dropping to your knees, but rather it was a posture of standing with your hands raised and your eyes raised, looking to God as a posture of praise and worship. You see, the Gentile believers, though, they were prone to enter a posture of prayer by dropping to their knees, one of humility and reverence. And so Paul, as the missionary to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, he, as a, a posture of, of alignment and humility, a pastoral move, he says, hey, I'm, I'm with you here, guys. I so badly want you to get this, that I'm, I'm illustrating my love for you and taking a posture that would have aligned with them. So he drops to his knees in prayer, not only to show humility and a posture of yielding, to say, hey, God, your will be done, in a sense. He's also aligning himself with the Gentiles there, saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm with you. I see you. I love you. So I'm going to model this for you. He approaches them, he approaches God boldly, as he has them in mind. He also seeks the Father of all things to ask big things. I, I, I think a lot of times our, our picture, our image, our vision of who God is is far too small, right? It's far too small. And Paul is gently reminding us that when we pray, when we approach God, the God that we're worshiping today at Connect Church is the God from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The God who is in control of everything, sovereign over everything, over everything. That's who we're approaching in prayer. That's who we're worshiping today. The God over everything. But a lot of times, you and I, we, we tend to operate out of a posture of timidity or reluctance rather than confidence and freedom. It makes me think of how um, we approach, if you've had the opportunity to approach somebody who's famous, maybe uh, a professional athlete or a musician. Anybody have that opportunity before? A couple of you. 
It was uh, about five years ago now. Um, my wife and I and a group of high school students were on our way back from a missions trip in England. We'd spent about 10 days in um, Hastings, which is on the coast of England, about two hours south of London. We had partnered with a local church there, and uh, it was an incredible, incredible trip filled with all sorts of high school drama. It was wonderful. And so at the end of the trip, we were so ready to be home. And uh, I knew in the back of my mind that uh, I, I love baseball, though the Rockies have slowly killed my love of baseball. Um, I still love baseball. And I knew in the back of my mind that uh, there was a key series that was being played in London, the London series. So there were a couple teams, I believe it was the Yankees and the Red Sox, who were playing at London Stadium, um, which was a unique, a unique thing for them. It hasn't normally happened. I knew that there were some professional players, commentators, who were there for the series. And we were headed from London to Chicago, and then Chicago on to Denver. And so we're there at the gate, and I see this massive, massive man walk up to the gate. And immediately he's like, I know who that is. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, an absolute massive man, over six feet tall, over 200 pounds, just an absolute massive man. Um, and one of the best players of all time. Hall of Fame first baseman, could crush the ball, known as the Big Hurt. Um, I hope you get it, right? He could put the hurt on pitchers and the baseball together. Uh, just an incredible, incredible athlete. You know, he'd just finished working the series. I can imagine he was tired and overwhelmed. So I thought to myself, hey, if I have the opportunity to say hi to him, I'm, I'm going to play it cool, but I'm not going to go out of my way to make an effort because he's probably had so many people ask for autographs and pictures, and I don't want to be that guy. So he, having far more money than any of us combined, he gets on the plane first and goes to first class. And then it's our time to board. So as we work our way down the plane, I can either go to the left or to the right, and the flight attendant ushered us to the right, and so we're working our way down the aisle, and off to my left, I see Frank Thomas. I'm like, oh my goodness, here's my opportunity. The chance is coming. And we continue to walk down the aisle, and then the line stops, and immediately to my left is Frank Thomas. The butterflies start. What am I going to say? In the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, play it cool, play it cool. So just nonchalantly, I'm like, hey, big game this weekend. It's a casual thing to say, right? Like, big game this week. And he's like, yeah, it was crazy. And then the line continued, and that was it. But inside, I'm like all nervous and excited. And I sat down next to my wife as we got to our seats. Like, Jenny, do you know who that was? It's like, that was Frank Thomas. She was like, okay. As many some of you are feeling today as well. But we know what it's like in fear and even um, concern of, of maybe being rejected, what it's like to think of or even have the opportunity to see somebody famous interact with somebody famous. We know what that's like internally. What it's like to approach somebody who is more powerful or famous than we are. But friends, what Paul is modeling for us is though we feel that internally at times, when we approach the God of all things, we can approach him in confidence to ask big things of him. We don't need to be fearful or reluctant because why? Of everything Jesus has accomplished for us. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So out of this posture, Paul starts the prayer. Next thing we see is we see two primary requests. Um, the passage itself is kind of weird. Paul um, writes a long run-on sentence, so it's hard at times to understand exactly what he's getting at. But as I can best understand it, there are really two requests that Paul is making in this passage. So he approaches God and he says, God, you're big, you're wonderful. The one from 
whom every name derives its name. And he says, I pray out of his glorious riches, verse 16, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That's, that's request number one. He prays out of the riches of God's glory. God isn't just glorious. He is riches of glory. I just think for a moment what it's like to go somewhere where there isn't much light pollution. You can just stare at the wondrous galaxy above us and just be amazed by the expansive reality of what it's like to look off into the sky. And that's just a fraction of the glory of who God is. Just a fraction of it. Pulsing out of the, the glorious riches of who you are, God, would you respond to these people? Would you respond? And he prays that they would be strengthened with power. That's resurrection power, friends. Through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. One of the the key expressions of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives is Christ dwelling more deeply within us. One of the key expressions of the Holy Spirit's power within our lives is, is Christ dwelling more deeply within us. The word that Paul is using there is, is not the, the idea of, hey, I'm going to pitch a tent and go camping for a weekend, and then I'm going to pack everything up and head home. No, it's the idea of, of setting deep roots, a, a deep, strong, robust foundation for Christ to fully dwell within our lives. It's amazing and expansive, and it's shocking even that Christ can dwell within us. God himself dwelling within us because of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, would, would you, Jesus, would you dwell more deeply within them because of the Holy Spirit? Would that be possible and true? The desire for Jesus to dwell all the more deeply. He says, would you be rooted and established in love? I don't know what life looks like for you today or where you're at in your job, within your family, or whatnot, but I think all of us could uh, be okay with a little more rootedness and a little more establishment, right? As we think of the year ahead with elections and crazy realities politically and the concern of financial collapse potentially, and is there going to be a recession, is there not going to be a recession, skyrocketing interest rates as people try to purchase homes, I mean, everything around us can be so overwhelming, can't it? It's so overwhelming. And if we try to establish ourselves and root ourselves within anything other than Christ himself, friends, we're going to be left wanting. And Paul knows that. So he prays that the Christians then, and by extension us today, that we would all be rooted and established in love. So the first request is simply that we would be strengthened so that Christ could dwell more deeply. And as a result, as Christ dwelling more deeply, we would have a rooted and established faith that can withstand the storms of life, the trials of life, and everything that we might face. The second request is this. He, he prays that the Christians would have power to grasp. Verse 18. He said they would have power to grasp, uh, together with all the Lord's people, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul prays for 
the Christians to know that which is unknowable. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? But they have power and the ability to actually grasp and know the love that is so vast that it's impossible for us to truly know it. It got me thinking, uh, one of the things that my wife Jenny and I enjoy doing is we enjoy hiking and spending time in the mountains. If we're going to go anywhere, uh, we're drawn to spend more time in the mountains than the beach. That's just the kind of people we are. Maybe that means we're friends, maybe it means we're not. It's okay. Um, but we love going to the mountains. And a number of years ago, we had the opportunity to travel through uh, the Italian Dolomites in Italy. And uh, we're spoiled living in Colorado, aren't we? Like we live in a beautiful state with beautiful mountains. But we were shocked by the beauty of the Dolomites. Just shocked by the beauty of the Dolomites. Um, and towards the end of our time in the Italian Dolomites, we had an opportunity to visit Ceceda, which is a picture you'll see here in just a moment. Uh, and we timed it out just right that we were the first group of people to get on the cable car to head up to this picturesque, beautiful scenery. I mean, if you look at like the TV display at Costco, a lot of times, Ceceda is one of the places featured as Vizio and Samsung and whoever tries to sell their product. Just beautiful. As we spent time there, we were just amazed by the views, the picture. I mean, it just was, was shocking. And we essentially had it all to ourselves, which was just an absolute treat and an absolute gift. But the Dolomites are, are expansive. They're huge. They're hard to comprehend just how big they are. I mean, just think about the Rocky Mountains as well, right? Like expansive mountain range full of beauty and wonder around every corner. As we drove through the Italian Dolomites, we were just regularly shocked. But even though we spent there just a couple days, a couple days there, we, we were able to understand just a small picture of the fullness of the Italian Dolomites. Now, if I were to pack up everything with my family and move to Italy to live in northern Italy and buy a home or, I don't know, just bum it for the rest of our lives in the Italian Dolomites and do everything that we could to know the Italian Dolomites for the rest of our lives, we would know the Italian Dolomites, right? We would know trails and places to visit, the best spots to see. We would, we would know it. However, we wouldn't fully know the Italian Dolomites, right? In much the same way, as followers of Jesus, we can know that which is unknowable. We can know the love of Christ that is higher and deeper and wider and broader and grander than you and I could possibly fathom. It's so big and so vast and so wide that it's beyond comprehension, yet by God's working within us, we can actually know that love, which is incredible. We can know that love. So Paul says, would you, God, would you work within their lives so that they would know that which is unknowable, the love of Christ, which is so much bigger and better and more beautiful than we could possibly recognize. Yeah, we can still know that love. Much like exploring the Italian Dolomites for the rest of my life, we won't fully know it, we can still know it. But I think the invitation there for us is there's always more for us to know and learn about the love of Christ. There's always more for us to know and learn about the love of Christ. We never graduate <laughs> from knowing the love of Jesus for us, which is encouraging. So the request, too, is that the Christians there would, would have the power to grasp the love that is unknowable fully. It's, it's beyond comprehension. It's wonderful to know that love. Then lastly, Paul concludes the prayer with the result. He says this, 
in the, the last part of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the fullness of God. Is that shocking to anyone else? Is that surprising to anyone else? That we can actually be filled with the fullness of God because of Jesus. In other words, if you think of the character and the nature of Christ, Christ revealed to us, that can actually be true of you and of me. That when people see Stephen Boyer, yes, they see Stephen Boyer, but hopefully they see a whole lot of Jesus too, right? As they see you, hopefully they see a bit of you because you're uniquely wired with your own passions and interests and personality, but, but hopefully they see a lot of Jesus too. Because you and I can actually be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. So when they see us, when the people of the world see us, those who are disconnected, who so badly need to be connected to a, a God who loves them and has made a way for them. So you think of those people. They, they need people like us filled with his fullness. Not filled with more Stephen, but filled with more Jesus. Filled with his fullness, his character, and his nature. And I don't know about you, but I, I want that. I want that for my family. I want that for myself. I want that for my kids. I want that for my church. I want that for you. That we would all be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul prays this wondrous, grand prayer. And he knows that as a result of praying, that people would be made to be more like Jesus. That there would be a, a formational aspect of this prayer. That as people are strengthened, as, as Christ dwells more deeply, as they better understand the love of Christ, that it actually has an impact in them. I believe that impact is, is maturity. That people become more like Jesus over time. Maturity takes place. But not only that, I think there's, there's something deeper within this prayer as well. There's an invitation for you and for me. You see, you've been looking at this book for a couple weeks now, and um, the, the reality of transformation. You become more like Jesus, and it's for our good, yes, but it's ultimately for his glory, right? It's ultimately for his glory, but it's also for our good. There's a piece of growing in Christ, Christ-likeness that actually benefits you, and it benefits me though it's ultimately for his glory. And the invitation for us today, I believe, as a result of this maturity that can take place, is the invitation to freedom. The invitation to freedom. Freedom that comes as a result of maturity in Christ. In other words, as as Christ is formed within us, it results in something for us. And, man, I... One of the biggest struggles I have as a leader, as a pastor, as a man today, is I, I really struggle with the impact of, of people-pleasing. Maybe some of you can resonate with that today as well. There have been so many times within my time in ministry, within my time as a husband, within my time as a dad, and as a son, and as a friend, where I maybe say things or don't say things out of a fear of how will I be received. Uh, choices I've made or not made out of a fear of how will people respond to this. Um, I am impacted by that. And maybe you find yourself there today as well. Maybe you struggle with the same issue, where as you think about relationships, as you think about work, as you think about um, what you like to do for fun, you are regularly impacted by 
this, this tendency inside you to feel overwhelmed by how others perceive you or view you or receive you. I think what that ultimately reveals, if, if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, when we are fearful or concerned about how others will receive us, it reveals where we place our security. It reveals that we place our security in the view of others and that that matters a lot to us. But the invitation for us today is an invitation to freedom. See, this prayer over time, a spiritual breakthrough takes place, as maturity takes place, as transformation in Christ takes place, it leads to maturity. And the maturity leads to freedom. Why? Because when we better understand the love that is beyond comprehension, when we're deeply rooted and established in his love, when Christ dwells more deeply within us, all of a sudden the voices of the world begin to fade, right? As we recognize how great he is in comparison to uh, the opinions of others, we're, we're changed, we're transformed, we're, we're shaped to be more like Jesus as we're freed to actually live and serve and love as he's called us to live, serve, and love. But like all good things, it takes time. Transformation in Christ takes time. This is a process. And it takes intentionality on our part too. So the question I want to ask you today as we get ready to wrap up our time is this. Is where can you slow down in order to press in? What is one area of your life where you can slow down in order to press into prayer? What is one area of your life where you can slow down in order to press in? If, if praying and asking big things of God can actually result in true freedom, true transformation to take place, then what are some steps that you can take today to slow down in order to press into prayer? Knowing that it's a process, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take effort. But over time, God will meet us there. One of the cool things about preaching from time to time is passages that you get to preach on actually have a profound impact on you personally. Hopefully that happens most of the time. Um, and one of the times that took place for me was a number of, of years ago where I was preaching on the sending of the 72 in the Gospel of Luke. And as I was wrestling with that passage and learning more about that passage and, and just wrestling with the text itself, um, the way that Jesus concludes that passage really struck me. You see, the 72 disciples, they go off and they do these incredible, incredible things for Jesus. They cast out demons, they heal people. I mean, it's, it's shocking stuff. And then the disciples return to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, look at what we've done in your name. Do you guys remember how Jesus responds? Essentially, he says, don't focus on that. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on the fact that they were subject to you in my name, but the fact that your names are written in the book of life. As I've grown as a leader, as I've grown as a man um, and sought to grow more in my relationship with Jesus, one of the most freeing things I've experienced is the promise that we are defined by whose we are, not what we accomplish. Another way to think of that in light of our passage for today is we're defined by whose we are, not what others say about us. We're defined by whose we are, not what we accomplish, what others say about us. And as we partner with God in prayer as we seek to apply his word to our lives. As Christ dwells more deeply within us, as we're strengthened to be rooted and established in his love. As we better understand the love that is unknowable. 
There's an invitation for breakthrough. So as a way to close today, I think no better way than to pray. (laughs) To pray this passage over us. To pray that, as Paul prayed for them, this would be true of us today. So with that, would you pray with me? God, thank you for being big, for being great, for being the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And God, we pray out of the glorious riches of who you are that you would strengthen all of us, God, with power through your spirit in our inner being, God, so that you, Jesus, may dwell in our hearts through faith. And God, we pray that we would be rooted and established in love so that we would have power together to grasp the love that is wide and long and high and deep, the love of Jesus. To know your love, Jesus, the love that surpasses knowledge so that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Would this be true of us, we ask, Lord. Do what only you can do. For this all, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.